1: Hello and welcome to the Situation Report today. Glad to have you joining me. This is the show where we do our best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. Once in a while, I'll talk about those words. Information. We need the right information. We need the right perspectives. How do we look at what's happening in the world? And boy, do we need it in order to navigate an ever-changing culture. I hope that this will be one of those episodes for you. My name is Jeremy Stonlicker. I am your host. And today we're going to ask a very simple question of our guest. What is going on in the world? <laughs> it's a very simple question. What's going on in the world? Uh, I'm grateful to have on today a guest who has uh, a really... Uh Probably unique view of what's happening in our country as it relates to the legal system, as it relates to crime and crime rates, uh, even the gun debate we're having right now. He has a very unique perspective and we need his perspective. We need the information that he gives, but probably more importantly today, we need the perspective that he has. Because as we see rising crime in our country, there are a lot of pundits that will tell us why crime is rising. And everyone wants to uh, obviously dismiss or distance themselves from what's happening. It can't be their responsibility. Maybe the government needs to do something else. He has a different perspective on that. We'll talk about that. The gun issue, a conversation that needs to be had and needs to continue to be had. He gives us a great perspective on that as well, and really why crime is rising and why we're having the issues we are with guns uh, connected, as he describes those for us. And then just our legal system. What is it that we have? How does it work? I'm so thankful to be able to have this conversation. Uh, If you're anything like me, you can be overwhelmed by what you hear on the news and what you see happening around you. I end this discussion today, this interview, by asking, uh, what are you looking forward to? What are you optimistic about in our country? What can we look to and be encouraged by? And uh, man, he gives a great answer. My guest today is Sheriff Bill Wayburn, Sheriff. Weyburn is the sheriff of Tarrant County Sheriff's, uh, the Tarrant County Sheriff's Department. I've said it wrong every time I've tried to say it. Uh, Tarrant County is that county right outside of Dallas, the Fort Worth area, and uh, he has so many good things to say. I'm really grateful that I can bring this conversation to you. As you know, our friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Now, Mike has done it again by introducing his My Slippers. For a limited time, you will save $90 on a pair of My Slippers. This blowout sale of the year won't last, so order now. Mike has taken two years to develop the My Slippers, and they are designed to wear both indoor and out all day long. Made with MyPillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue, they are also made with quality leather suede. Call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code SITREP. This offer will not last long, so order now with promo code SITREP at MyPillow.com. It is an honor today to have on as my guest, Sheriff Bill Weyburn, Sheriff of Tarrant County, Texas. Tarrant County. I said that right. Tarrant (laughs) Tarrant County. I looked at it and went, that that can't be right. That is right. Uh, It's the Dallas-Fort Worth area. That's what most people would know of that area. Uh, Sheriff Weyburn, thank you so much for taking some time to come and talk to us today. Really appreciate it.
2: Well, you're very, very welcome, and I'm honored to be here.
1: I want to get into a couple specific things, but before we get there, if it's okay, I'd love for you just to share your story with our audience. How how you got into law enforcement? Um, kind of your journey to where you are now. Uh, my son is 21 years old and works for our local police department. He's waiting on a on a date for an academy. He's got that coming up in a couple weeks or a couple months. And uh, love law enforcement. Love the story of those who are in law enforcement. And uh, I'd love to hear your story. How does one get to be where you are?
2: Well, first of all, I'm very excited for your son. What an exciting time for him to begin such sure. a noble career is I knew I wanted to be a cop as a teenager. Mm. And in fact, when I got out of high school and, and decided that necessarily college wasn't for me, uh, I was able to join the Air Force and and, uh, and being part of their security forces and security police had a great right. time. And then uh, while I was in the Air Force, I actually got to go through the police academy here in Texas and uh, got out and came into law enforcement and hadn't looked back. Uh, so I've been doing it uh, either in the military or uh, everything else for my entire life.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, my son, he started with the uh, Explorer program and he's 14 years old. He's been around this for a long time and, and uh, loves it. We're in a good community, so I'm thankful for that. Uh, and it is an honorable profession. It seems that many in our country right now are down on law enforcement. I'm here in California. Um, I'm in a great community here. We're Riverside County. We've got an incredible sheriff. Yes, you uh, do. Sheriff Chad Bianco is our sheriff here. He's incredible. But outside of Riverside County, things get a little weird. And uh, this is a this is a place where people don't love law enforcement, and, and that's kind of been a been a theme over the last uh, couple of years. What do you say to folks who look at those going into the profession or who've been in the profession for a long time, as you have, and, and have a negative view of what, what's happening?
2: Well, first of all, Chad Bianco is an outstanding individual, great sheriff, and a good friend. Yeah. Is, uh, I would uh, I would say to people right now that America has been an incredible country and we have ebb and flow and we have low times and we have great times. And in this time of what appears to be anti-law enforcement, yeah. I do believe and I'm an optimist that that pendulum is swinging back where people what they're seeing or what they what they're knowing is is they don't want crime in their community. They don't want violence in their community, uh, they understand if you're going to be in business or or if you're going to work, the thing that counts is that you're safe at doing it. And the rule of law that gives us all fair play uh, is so important. And I think people, uh, I got to believe that absolutely the majority of people believe that right now on both sides of the aisle. And uh, I'm optimistic that that pendulum will swing back and some of the naysayers will be you just put back in the stands where they belong,
1: right, you have uh, been at this for a long time you 've probably seen the best of people and the worst of people and and that interaction with our legal system um, what with your experience, would be your characterization of our legal system, and again, I know you 've had you know even in your county some folks who have. Uh, push back on some of the decisions that you've made, and this is this is common, right? I mean, this is how it works. But you've had to deal with this again, seeing good, seeing bad. Uh, how would you characterize kind of the American legal system and how these <laughs> people on the outside they look at it so differently than understanding really what's happening from from where you're sitting?
2: Well, I sometimes the legal system f- appears to fail miserably, and sometimes. It, it appears to get everything right. but what people need to remember is it's it's your neighbor, it's it's your friends, it's it's the people across town from you that are called judges and lawyers and cops. And really, I got to tell you that all the judges that I know, all of the uh, all the lawyers that that are in the courtroom that I have done business with, have been people of going, hey, we really are just seeking justice. Mm. We are seeking uh, out to, to make sure that due process is done, which our Constitution applies to, mm. and making sure that fair play is here. And at, But at the end of the day, uh, especially in the criminal world, sometimes it is just the judgment of the guy in the black robe or girl in the black robe that says, you know, I think this is what's fair. Right, and and you and I might not agree with them, or we might think it's too much or too little, and that happens all the time.
1: I've had the opportunity. I was in the Marine Corps, and uh, you know, since then have been in various positions. Had the opportunity to travel around the world, and it's really interesting when you go to places particularly like Eastern Europe. I was in Ukraine last week, wow. and uh, our organization is trying to provide really spiritual support to many of the folks who are serving there. You. But you talk, you talk to people who are in other places. You know, we have our problems and our angst and anxiety over what we do. But in places like that, where there is very little due process, the legal system is not trusted by anyone in the country. What we have here is really special, even when it doesn't go the way that we want it to. That
2: is a great comparison, and I couldn't agree with you more. In my visitation with other countries and this, the, what goes on, whether it be in Russia or, or as you said, Ukraine or, or, or South Korea, hmm. you know, you go over there and spend a little bit of time, and you, right. know, you you look at our system, and it is beautifully exceptional.
1: We are at a strange moment in time, historically as a nation, right now. Um, whether you're on the left or the right, I think <laughs> we all agree that it's weird and we don't know what to make of all of it. One of the things that's happening right now is is a uh, very marked rise in crime across the country, violent crime. Um, again, laws have changed here in California so that you can walk into a store and steal something less than $1,000 or a lot of something that total less than $1,000 and walk away because no one's going to prosecute you. A uh, district attorney in the city of Los Angeles has basically said he's not going to prosecute criminals at all. Um, we saw a police officer in Los Angeles uh, killed recently by someone who should have been in prison. Uh, this is happening across the country, though. What do you make of the rising crime right now that we're experiencing? It's, it's pretty unprecedented.
2: It is unprecedented, and there's several things that are going to going play. One is we can't forget that that some of this has some play because of the open border and Mm. drugs are just copious amounts of drugs everywhere. And whether it's, it's, it's the user that, that has become psychotic or it's the, the cartel that, that is doing business and, and have no value of human life. So we've got all of those things happening with, with that market in our society is, I believe I will tell you today, uh, that, 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 in my jail today, we have about 4,300 uh, inmates. 80% of them will have three things in common: one, they've never had a father in their life; hmm. two, they don't have a high school education; and three, they're motivated by narcotics of some sort. That they're either an addict, or they're a user of it, or they they they, they they're involved in the drug trade. So those three things are happening, and so as and that's, that's in this generation. Our juvenile generation, there's about 90% fatherless, right? So one of wow. the key issues is is our children that are being raised by the street, they're going to end up seeing somebody like me unless they're exceptionally disciplined or see something. And, and certainly like you, I think it's it, our church's time and opportunity to get involved in those and rise up and be those mentors for those young people that are there now to prevent them from being here now or later rather. But I see that happening. So you got the drug trade, you've got, you've got an abundance of fatherless children and then you have DA's like you just spoke of. If there is not consequences for your right. actions, then that, that is just going to continue to drive it up. It was the old criminal justice theory of the broken window. And if you don't enforce the, the code enforcement of the broken window, then it will lead to other issues. And in California in particular, we saw that narcotics have been made misdemeanors. Mm. You folks have let out everybody out of prison. Right. And with, I don't know what the governor expected. With that formula, mm. there's nothing but crime going to go up. Homelessness is going to increase all of those issues that affect us if we do not hold people accountable.
1: The, the fatherless issue is one that is so important to me, um, again, as a, as a parent, certainly, as someone who's been around young men and, and really has tried to, in many places in my life, uh, help young men and encourage them and, and mentor young men. Why is that not the headline issue in a lot of this. Uh, even looking at um, suicide rates among young people, uh, all of these these factors that we consider, the one thing that is rarely talked about is the fatherlessness issue. Uh, why are we not talking about it, A, and what can we who are talking about it do to, to change that?
2: Well, I, it is beyond me. And I, I will tell you, everywhere I go and I get an opportunity to speak, I always bring up those issues of fatherhood, Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but I don't see it catching hold in mainstream media. I don't even see it. It doesn't seem to be the glamorous thing to be talking about, or people don't want to approach it because it is complex. There's some people that says, wait a minute, maybe we don't need dads, which mm. is a foolish statement. Mm. Uh, but I think that, uh, people ignore it. And, and I will tell you that it's not only the mainstream media where everybody blames, it's our churches. And, yeah. uh, Being an evangelical Christian, I believe that we need to be out there taking care of our orphans. And I don't think we do a very good job of it.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's funny, one of the pushbacks from the pro-choice community, those who are (laughs) screaming right now about the Supreme Court decision with Roe and and all of that is that you Christians, all you care about is birth. You don't care about the life of uh, the child once it's born. And that's statistically, I mean, there are... There's a lot of research that's, that's it's, um, not true. However, I think a lot of our churches have uh, set ourselves up to, <laughs> to absorb that because we're not doing a good job of caring for those who uh, don't have fathers, who don't have you know, good home situations. Even some with fathers need, need some help. Yep. Um, what should the churches be doing that they're not doing? Well,
2: the, the things that I would tell them to do is several. Is not everybody in the church pews is built for adoption. But first mm. of all, let's just adopt the kids in our county that need, need adopting. Give them homes forever because that's the key here, yeah. that they have homes forever. Right here in Tarrant County, in our greater t- Tarrant County, we probably have right now as I speak 300 kids eligible for adoption and nobody's taking them. And these are older kids, and, and it's going to be – it's a rescue operation. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, so that's the one thing. They need to be encouraging adoption, and they encourage the peer support around them for the people to adopt them, maybe do fundraisers to make sure you have the money for private school and get those kids not in secular school, but send them my personal things, Christian school or mm. uh, faith-based schools. The, the, the second thing that I would love to see is get behind ministries and missionaries to go into our individual communities, get those outreach missionaries going into our inner cities where these kids are at and setting up ministries in there that, that will be mentoring these kids be providing uh, athletic programs be uh, you know maybe a source to make sure they have Christmases and stuff like that and create relationships with these children that don't have a father where they have somebody to go to somebody to hold them accountable uh, is those are some of the key things that yeah. they need to be pouring in but but if they if they don't uh, you know it's 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 going to get tougher
1: How has uh, just as a curiosity, how has your position on faith and church and community been received as a as a sheriff in a pretty large uh, county?
2: Well, I got to say, for the most part, it it has been received uh, okay. I I have had people. I have a fan club that sometimes (laughs) get mad at me for being a Christian and 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 that kind of thing. But uh, you know, that's okay. Uh, That that is first and foremost is 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 the gospel. And, and what we should be doing and walking to it because I help people all the time. I said, I'm not a citizen of this country. I'm, mm. I'm on mission. I'm citizen of heaven. And uh, we get to walk forward with that.
1: That's awesome. I, I love that uh, perspective, too, because it probably changes everything for you, I would imagine. Uh, what you're doing is not a job now. It's it's something that has an eternal purpose.
2: Eternal purpose. It's a calling. And it's the same calling. thing your son's been doing. Is he's being called to a ministry.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. What a great perspective. Um, if we can shift a little bit to kind of the, the prescient issue in our country at this moment, uh, it's guns. Um, we talk about gun control, red flag laws, uh, background checks, universal background checks, restricting ammunition and magazines. Uh, we could argue about all of that. And one of the things we do know, though, is that um, guns put in the wrong hands. Have dire consequences. And uh, I'd love to maybe just start by first getting your perspective on on what's happening. Obviously, we had the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, Um, the shooting here recently in Illinois, Um, tragic, tragic events, and others that we could point to in our country, of course. And it seems like we're going through a rash of that right now. I I won't ask you to explain why that's happening, but. can you talk about just guns generally and maybe some things that you see that should change or a better way of looking at what's happening? I heard today on a conservative radio station, the guy who was talking, he he came to the point where he said, I supported guns, I supported the Second Amendment, but this is a gun issue. We've got to do something about it. So everyone's kind of at that point where they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And I get it because it's an extremely emotional time to see the images of you know, families and children and all those things. Um, so that was a really long question, but can you just give us maybe some perspective on, on this, the better way to look at what's happening right now?
2: Well, first of all, I'll, I'll fully disclose, I am uh, a pro second amendment guy. I, uh, I've been a, been a firearms instructor and argued for a concealed handgun license in Texas and open carry in Texas. Uh, I believe in individual responsibility. Right. Uh, I don't think that you can carry me around in your back pocket, as they say. I think that you, 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 you've you got to be able to take care of yourself a little bit. But I, I think we are at a time where here here we got this, but it, it always turns toward uh, this innate object that, uh, you know, I've carried a gun all my life, and it's mm-hmm. done just fine. It hadn't shot any innocent people at all. <laughs> right. And, uh, and the majority, we have what 90 million to almost a hundred million gun owners in the United States. Sure. And 99.9% of them are, do well with it, but we do have, and I don't, I don't have the stats in front of me. I think there's 27 or 30 people a day that die from gun, from gun violence. And that includes suicide. In fact, right. the majority of them I think are going to be suicide.
1: Right.
2: Well, if we put that in perspective of 117 people a day die in car accidents, and, and that car, uh, that car hadn't killed those people. We You don't hear gar- car control coming out. It's yep. always amazing to me is that uh, a, a drunk driver in a car that's on probation can do a lot yep. of damage. Yep. And, and and it takes a lot of lives. But I know that these horrific crime scenes, these incredible crime screens, where, where it's going on, and I... Often say, "Why are we looking to limit the rights of ninety nine percent of the people mm. for that so small age Even not even one percent, less than one percent. These people are doing wrong. I don't have a problem, and I just left a meeting on, on how do we profile that guy because everybody yeah. in these these shootings know who these people are. You know, they knew who he was in Uvalde, they knew who yep. he was in Chicago, they knew who he was down in Parkland." And, uh, is they know who they are there. We don't need red flag laws to be able to be good citizens, to have the courage to say, we need to watch Johnny. He, John mm-hmm. is indicating things. We've seen him on Facebook threatening this or some right. other media. And so my perspective is until we get a handle on those things where people have the courage to boldly say, we got to watch Johnny, uh, and hold him accountable is, uh, I, I am very hesitant to limit rights. I'm very hesitant about red flag laws that that become very subjective. Mm. Now, I will say that probably some of the better ones in the country are in Florida, where it's law enforcement based and it has some very good due process points uh, and those kind of things. But red flags in general uh, across the country, uh, I think uh, when. You, just go down to and sit in a family court for a little while and see if anybody will lie on, on a family member, you know?
1: Yeah. Right. Right.
2: It, 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 it happens in abundance. Uh, but I think that that we look at the person and that we do these profiles and we deal with mental illness before we get to saying, well, we're going to start limiting second amendment rights.
1: What has changed? Uh, I mean, guns have been around, you know, forever. Um, you mentioned you've carried a gun for for many many years. A lot of us have. Uh, there was a time not too long ago where having a gun in your car was not an uncommon event, it, and and yet we go through these these cycles, and we're certainly in one now where gun violence is is in front of us. What are some of the causal factors? If you could point to a couple of things, what what has changed? I guess is is the the big question. And, and I could put on my conspiracy hat, <laughs> but I won't, so practically speaking, what has changed? Why are we dealing with this now when we weren't you know twenty years ago, thirty years ago?
2: Well, I think the country has lost a little bit of its moral compass, yeah, Our moral compass as a whole is off that we're we're accepting more things and and again, going back to there's been little or no consequences for some of these things right and I go to Chicago that had I think fifty shot this weekend, mm in Chicago
1: Mm.
2: and strictest gun laws in the country. Yeah. But they haven't, here's the deal on those victims, on those trigger pullers up there, when you hunt them down, where was dad, where was dad? And, uh, uh, he's not there. And I think that this, this new moral code that we're seeing where we make up stuff along the way and we don't have a go by,
1: Mm.
2: I think we're going to see more of it before it gets better.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting too that not only is a dad not typically present or not involved, uh, but these are young men. And again, when we connect this back to a lot of the gender issues that we're discussing right now and just flipping upside down what God intended, uh, young men are completely lost. And, uh, you know, you were in the Air Force, I was in the Marine Corps, and when I was in the Marine Corps, a lot of the young men there were there because they had never learned how to do stuff outside or operate a firearm. And they just wanted to, to experience that. And that was a a safe place and a healthy place for them to experience that. But you see these young men now that have no purpose, no direction. Um, and then somehow they get a gun and, and they're experiencing it, but at the, at the loss of, of life, which is pretty crazy. The, uh, the point you made about personal responsibility, uh, David Barton is someone that uh, that I know well. And uh, I don't know if you know David Barton, but he's incredible. Big fan of David um, Barton. Yeah, he, he's awesome. He's, uh, he's on our, our board here for our organization. And uh, I know him well. I've been to his ranch a couple times. And um, every time we get together, there's some kind of shooting involved. So he loves guns, right? But he's written on this and talked about it. And he, he talks about uh, how the founder's intent would have been that the community would – train up young people to understand how to operate a firearm, understand the implications and the personal responsibility that comes along with that. And I I feel like we've missed that as well. We don't have, you know, the older generation, whoever that is, men or women, teaching those who are coming along how to safely use a firearm. I taught my kids how to use a gun when they could stand up and, and, and hold one. In fact, I remember taking my son to the range and they had to put him up on a thing he had to stand up on a thing to get over the bench so he could shoot um, and we've had guns in our house i've always had guns in my house um, i shouldn't admit this out loud but i have loaded guns in my house that aren't in a lock box i've never had a problem because i taught my kids how important they are how dangerous they are how to handle them well but man we've we've missed even that the community idea of teaching young people how to use a firearm
2: you are absolutely right, and that used to be, you know, growing up, especially oh, anywhere in America, they, they talked about that. You know, they talked about how to handle a shotgun or a rifle or a handgun, and those things were coming up. And, and I've taught all of my kids the same thing. As soon as they're old enough, you know, we're heading to the range, and they're going to get yeah. to look at and, and squeeze triggers and do all those things.
1: When you look at uh, the United States just really broadly, again, from where you sit, it's a very different view than I think most of us have. Um, what are you encouraged about? What are you maybe not discouraged about but concerned about? And what are some things we should be doing right now to not only preserve what we have but but take some ground as the pendulum does, hopefully swing back in the conservative direction?
2: Well, I think that... That's- from the 30,000 feet, I am concerned with national policy right now. I'm very concerned with uh, where we're going with with the border issues. I'm very concerned with the Ukraine war and making mm. sure that it doesn't spread. Yep. I think all of those things are, are certainly a threat. I think also that we're missing the boat. That I'm, I think China is a clear and current threat to us nationally uh, and that they are in conspiracy with, you know, at least with a— Uh, A wink and a nod, they are in conspiracy theories with with the the Mexican cartels, Mm. along with Venezuela, and they're weaponizing drugs like fentanyl coming into this country that we're seeing about 300 a day die from fentanyl, and uh, no no major media is on that. Imagine a jumbo jet going down every day, but from the 30,000 or 40,000 foot level, I'm concerned about those things on the outer course that affect America, the effective leadership that we have in Washington is stalemated. Uh, so sometimes that's a great thing. And, <laughs> and, and uh, but sometimes that we do need to move the ball down the road. Some with some things, especially when people are talking about harnessing, diminishing, limited, uh, our civil rights, our forefathers yep. knew what they were doing. And, yep. uh, but I think that those are the things that I'm concerned about. The, Things that I see that I think that are, that are, that are going well, people uh, doing things well, I have never seen, at least in Texas, and I almost bet in California it's the same way, we have tremendous amount of groups emerging to deal with human trafficking. Mm. A lot of non-government agencies, they're popping yep. up everywhere to yep. deal with human trafficking, and we're very active in that. We rescued 30 people just a week ago. Wow. And, and so we want those people taken care of and getting new starts in lives. And I see good, working people coming out and saying, how can we help and how we how can we engage in that? Is that I'm optimistic about uh, um, right now uh, dealing with state legislatures because of Roe v. Wade is they want to prepare at a state level. How can they help and how can they make sure that it doesn't cost $20,000 to adopt right. it? Right. Maybe let's right. make it affordable, figure out how to do that. And let's do some of those things. So, uh, I love those hearts. I love those hearts for ministry. And I know there's some churches that I'm seeing that are really doing, so- we got a church here in town. That's building a facility that'll, that'll house a hundred trafficking victims. Wow. They're wow. going to take care of them. And, uh, uh, so when I see things like that, it's like, the fight still rages, and, and we're mm-hmm. heading, we're doing well. There are noble people wanting to do noble things.
1: That's good, Sheriff sure, Weyburn, Really appreciate it. Um, your perspective is uh, is wonderful. I, I love I love it because it's underpinned with faith, and that's that's that has to be the foundation of the whole thing. And if you're looking at this world around us without that foundation, I don't know how you keep moving forward. Um, but then with your your understanding of law enforcement and what's happening in the world, uh, thank you. Really, really appreciate it.
2: Well, I'm honored to be with you today, and, and I appreciate your organization and what it's doing for vets and first responders and so forth. And I'm excited for your son, and you tell yes, him sir. to go home and read uh, Romans 13, and he'll see what who he is.
1: That's awesome. I will pass that on to him, and I'm thankful for where we are, too. We're in a good community with a good police department and, uh, and a good county, so uh, I'm excited for it. So, yeah, it's awesome. Thank you. Yes, sir. My name is Jeremy Stolnicker, I'm the CEO of the Mighty Oaks Foundation. And I'm here with my pastor, Steve Chappell, who is the pastor of Coastline Baptist Church here in Oceanside, California. And we are here today to tell you about our new book, Offensive Faith. In the Old Testament, the psalmist asked the rhetorical question, if the foundations be destroyed, what are the righteous to do? And it seems like we're living in a time when the foundations yeah, are being right. destroyed in a lot of different ways. Here's the great news. God has given us incredible insight in this word that can not only encourage us to hold on in times like these, but to help us to move forward by faith. And I think our goal in this book and what we hope for you, once you pick it up and you read it, is that you will be encouraged and equipped to go on the offense with your faith in a world that seems so often out of control. Order your copy of Offensive Faith today on Amazon.com. Grateful for men like Sheriff Weyburn. I don't think we always understand, we probably understand now better than we did a couple of years ago, but just how important our county sheriffs are across the country. Uh, With so many of the issues that we've dealt with in our nation and, and so many of uh even the restrictions that have been placed on us and all this other stuff. uh, Really, it's the sheriffs that have stood up and led the way in so many places. Grateful for these men and grateful for Sheriff Weyburn and his perspective. uh, Just this time, coming on and talking to us about these issues today. If you are not yet subscribed to our podcast here, The Situation Report, please subscribe right now. Wherever it is you're listening from, hit that subscribe button. That that means that this show will then be fed to you uh, automatically a couple times a week. And we want to make sure that you are in the loop of all that's happening. Some great guests and uh, looking forward to sharing those with you. Also take some time, go over to YouTube. You can find our channel, The Situation Report. Search for us there. Some of our episodes will come up. Hit that icon, that picture, and uh, that will take you to the channel. Hit subscribe, the notification bell, and then leave us a comment. Share that content out. That would be Fantastic. Thank you. Appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you next time. Many of you know that my day job is working for an organization called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. I've had the opportunity to work with the Mighty Oaks Foundation for a little over 10 years now and very grateful for that opportunity. I served in the United States Marine Corps and left in 2003. When I came back from Iraq and got out of the Marine Corps, I transitioned and had some of the same struggles that many of our veterans today have. Uh, That transition time can be very, very difficult. I moved on with the help and support of my family and others in my close-knit community and really, in many ways, tried to walk away from my service. It was too hard, too difficult for me to look back, to remember, to stay connected, and so I chose not to. About 10 years after I walked away, I was reconnected with many of the men that I had served with uh, in Iraq and even before that Iraq deployment and came to understand that so many of the men that I served with did not do well. I came home and I struggled, but I had a family around me and I had a community around me that helped me to get back on my feet and continue moving forward. So many of those that I had served with, however, did not have the same opportunity. They came home and didn't have that family around them, that community that could lift them up. And so they made some decisions, decisions that we talk about often in the veteran community. I was reminded about 10 years after my service, That some of the men that I served with in Iraq came home and struggled and decided that it would be best for them to end their lives. Others who had not taken their lives, but who had struggled from one relationship to the next, from one job to another, and had never really gotten back on their feet. I learned after 10 years that walking away from my military service was not really an option. (laughs) You see, we think we can hang our uniform in the closet for the last time and walk away, but our obligation to those that we served with remains. It was at that time that I had the opportunity to get connected to the Mighty Oaks Foundation. It was just getting started. I met our founder, Chad Robichaud, and together we began to work on what is today a national nonprofit serving veterans, active duty service members, and more and more, the first responders in our community. That's what we do. You see, Chad served in the Marine Corps as well, and both of us have an understanding, and so many of the folks, many, many folks that work with us now who served in the military and in the first responder community understand that we may get out, we may hang the uniform up, but we still have an obligation to care for those who have served or are serving. That's exactly what we do at the Mighty Oaks Foundation every single day. We run programs across the country for those who have served, veterans, or are serving, active duty service members, those who are serving in their community as first responders, police officers and firefighters, and others in that first responder community. We serve them by helping them to understand that there is life beyond their service, that their identity should be wrapped up in more than a uniform or a job that they've done or are doing that there is a purpose, that there is a plan. In fact, that God the Creator has something He intends for them, and that if they'll simply align their lives to the life that He has for them, so much of the trauma, so much of the difficulties, so much of their past, so many of those things that have a hold on them, they may not go away, but they won't maintain the hold and the control. Here's the message we try to convey and communicate. There is hope, and there is a community of people, found within the Mighty Oaks Foundation that understand where you've been because we've been there. We don't have it all figured out. We're certainly not perfect, but we've taken some steps to move forward, and we want to take you with us. That's what we do. How do we do that? Again, by communicating the fact that there is hope, by connecting with others who've been there and know how to move forward, and by getting around you and supporting you as you begin to take those very important steps yourself. The Mighty Oaks Foundation is blessed to have supporters across the country that make it possible for us to do the work that we do at no cost to the veteran, the active duty service member, or the first responder. For you to attend our program, you simply need to set aside five days and come to one of our locations, one of our facilities. We'll do the rest. There will be no cost to you for the program, no cost for the transportation to get you to the program we do all of the planning and all of the logistics you simply need to get there we want to remove every obstacle for you to get the help the encouragement the strengthening (laughs) the hope the renewal that you need we're thankful for the opportunity to do that perhaps you are not a veteran or a service member you're not in the first responder community but you care about those who have served and are serving our communities Well, you may fall into the other category then. Perhaps you're someone that can support what we do financially to make it possible for those folks to come along. Maybe your support is not financial support, but you know someone in your community, in your town, in your church, uh, in a club, or something else that you're a part of that could use this kind of support and encouragement. Plug them in. Let us help them. Let us get them on the road. No cost to them. We want to do the work, but we need you to get them to us. That was a lot of words. If you listen to the show, you know I say a lot of words sometimes. So let me point you to the one place where you can get all your questions answered. MightyOaksPrograms.org is our website. MightyOaksPrograms.org. There you will find more information about what we do as an organization. There's an application for those who would like to apply. Fill that application out. Our team will get back to you, set everything else up. If you would like to support the work of the Mighty Oaks Foundation, you'll find a place to do that there as well, and there is also a section for resources. So many of you know people who need help but may not start by coming to a program, attending a program, but they would read a book, they would watch a video, they would listen to a testimony. We have those resources there for you as well. So please come and join us at the Mighty Oaks Foundation's website, mightyoaksprograms.org. Our veterans, active duty members, and first responders need our support. Maybe you're in that category. You need our support. And that begins by going to the Mighty Oaks Program's website, mightyoaksprograms.org